this is the Women Talking About Learning podcast. My name is Andrew Jacobs. Welcome. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the supplier one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. The relationship between supplier and purchaser in learning and development seems quite strange to me at times. There are lots of reasons I think this is the case, but I'm really keen to hear the opinions of two people who have a completely different set of experiences, skills and thoughts. Having been on one side of the fence recently as a purchaser, I'm keen to understand more from a supplier perspective. So for this episode, the supplier one, we're going to be able to listen into a conversation between a supplier and a purchaser. Our first guest is Ashley Sinclair. Ashley is Managing Director of Mass Marketing, MAAS Marketing, the only digital marketing agency servicing the world of learning. With extensive experience as a digital marketeer, Ashley's expertise spans the entire digital marketing spectrum from campaigns and strategy through to content creation and branding. After leaving her final in-house role as a CMO, Ashley created and launched Mass Marketing just over a year ago in October 2019. Our second guest is Karen Bailey. Karen is Head of Competence Development for a large transportation organisation. She's a Chartered Fellow of the CIPD and a Fellow of the LPI. She's extensive experience with working with large complex organisations in senior roles with significant budgetary responsibility. During her career, she's purchased everything from individual training courses, early career and apprenticeship programmes, through to international executive development involving multiple providers. This was recorded in mid-November 2020 via Zoom, when the UK was still locked down, but was about to be moved into different tiers of lockdown. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Ashley and Karen talking about supplies in learning. Hi, Ashley. How are you? Hi, Karen. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Just found out we're in level three COVID restrictions. How about yourself? Exactly the same. Uh, oh. We were in tier three before we went into lockdown and we're in tier three again as we come out. So <laughs> no change. Same here. Same here. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite frustrating, isn't it? Um, but um, hey, ho, what can you do? So how's how's life going for you? What's um, what what's brought you here today to have this conversation? Well, I, I guess first and foremost, I am a woman in learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, I recently, well, I launched a business last October, um, working in the learning space. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of here sharing my opinion and stance on the industry as a whole, um, the vendor market, um, hopefully will supplement some of, you know, your opinions as a practitioner and an in-house L&D professional. Um, but yeah, primarily just kind of seeing some really interesting things happening on the market, as a consequence of COVID particularly, it's been a huge catalyst for our industry, I think. Yeah, yeah, so um, oh, that's great. So what kind of things are you doing? Is it um, technology or? No, so we're actually doing something very unique and I'm, I'm standing by this statement, I'm yet to be disproven, but at the moment we are the only marketing agency that is exclusively facilitating the world of learning. So my company is called Mass Marketing. Um, I come from a background of working in-house as a marketer. So I've worked with a lot of different learning technologies vendors. Um, And for a long time, I've started to kind of quietly observe the parity between learning and marketing. You know, primarily from my perspective, I use this line a lot, which is 
you know, ultimately we're trying to get people to do things we don't want them to do or know about things they don't know about yet. Yeah. So the business actually uh, supports both sides of the learning coin, if you want to look at it like that. So a big chunk of our clients are learning uh, technology vendors, um, mm -hmm. consultants, suppliers, technology creators, etc. Um, and then the other side is uh, supporting in-house L&D in terms of enablement and helping them develop their skills in marketing. Wow. What about you? Well, it's really interesting that you, you're in marketing and you can see the crossover with L&D um, yeah. because absolutely the same. Um, I actually started off running pubs um, okay. many moons ago. Um, and um, I actually was interviewing for two jobs, one within marketing <laughs> and wow. one within L&D. And um, I actually took the L&D route um, and sort of started... Uh, what I consider to be, you know, one of the best careers in the world, working um, in learning and development, um, it's a real privilege. Like you say, mm -hmm. you are encouraging people to uh, to do things they don't necessarily want to do, um, or don't know that they want to do yet. Um, but um, but yeah, I think it's it's a real privilege to be able to um, give people a different perspective, give them new skills. Um, and uh, it's a real privilege to be able to do that. So I've kind of been operating in that space since, uh, worked in many corporates, um, so several corporates. Um, I tend to do about three or four years in each one. Um, I've been in my most recent one though for uh, nine years. Um, oh, wow. Which is a long time for me. Um, but uh, I think I've hit upon a really great uh, company to work for. Um, and particularly it's enabled me, they, they leave you alone and let you do what you think is right in your space. Um, and for me, that's about organization development and enabling people to, um, to do things that they didn't realize they could do and change the organization. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I've been working there for, uh, quite, uh, quite a while now. So, um, so yeah, so suppliers for me absolutely critical to the job that I do um so it's really interesting to be able to talk to a supplier without you trying to sell me anything <laughs> I, I would never do such a thing <laughs> absolutely you know I think it's really good to be able to have that kind of conversation um without you trying to sell me anything and without me being responsible for buying anything so you can tell me the truth and I can tell you the truth and I think that is um a very unusual uh, situation to be in so yeah. yeah incredibly powerful actually I think because you know I mean I, I must admit that's not really my kind of uh, mo anyways to go in hard on a sale at the best of times but you know I, I do think you know further to your point of why you've stayed in your current role for such a long time you know change takes time um, and actually I think getting customers is the same thing it takes time you know we've got to uh i think build trust and relationships with individuals like yourself way before they'll ever consider buying from us especially small businesses you know our, our industry is full of these you know tiny little startups that pop up every year every year i go to learning tech maybe not maybe not 2021 um but usually i'd go and see all these new businesses and you know it's um it's an incredible space for giving small little businesses the opportunity but you know trust is integral to that i think and that relationship is pivotal 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 yeah. <laughs> um, word. that'll be fine um yeah i think i think you're absolutely right and do you know so many suppliers don't get that they mm. uh, and i actually think that a lot of that is actually corporate's fault um in the way that we treat suppliers so um i always see it like dating 
Um, and there's many, many ways of dating. Um, but if you're looking at apps, and I don't know this because I've been married for hundreds of years now, so you know, I, don't, I can't remember what dating's like. Um, but um, for me, you've got Tinder that serves one purpose and you've got eHarmony that suits another. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been in companies where it has been more Tinder. We want you for a purpose. We want you for a particular time um, and that's it. That's as much relationship as we want. Yeah. Whereas I'm much more uh, a values-based um, person. So I am where a values-based organization. Um, and the way that I see it is if I bring in a supplier, I want to be able to give that person the responsibility for doing something that I can't, um, that I'm either not an expert in, that I don't know, but you're still looking after my people um and you are there to help my people um where many companies actually uh, treat suppliers as you're here to run a course um so please come in run that communication skills course and then go away again if you give me good happy sheets then i'm happy mm -hmm. um and i think that's a tremendous waste of our the learning capabilities um and the the great suppliers that we've got out there i think it's just an incredible waste of the talent you know, why are you bringing people in and then restricting them um, so much, you know? So what's been your experience of working with corporates? Yeah, I mean, you know, clients are clients and, you know, they're they're always going to have their ways of wanting to do things. We, you know, I, we've experienced clients who are very open and flexible in terms of, uh, you know, one, one of our existing clients will basically come to us and say, you know, we, we want to do this thing, but we don't know what it looks like. Can you help us, you know, really pad that out? And we're seen as, a, you know, the expert creative arm and an extension to what they're, all the incredible learning work that they're already doing in-house, you know, other other clients are very very much the same you know it is you know we have this specific thing and we might come back to you for another specific thing in future but that relationship isn't, isn't the same we're not so bedded in yeah. um I have to say that I think because of the nature of the work that we do in general um it does feel somewhat different you know I've been on the vendor side for a long time and you know we've been on the receiving end of extensive RFPs and you know there's there's a lot of politics that goes on in that sometimes those are you know there's already been a supplier selected but you go through the whole RFP process to maybe drum down price or you know just uh, satiate procurement and say look we did go out to five people but oh we picked this one um mm -hmm. for those of you that don't know our RFP is a request for <laughs> what is an RFP request um, for procurement tender I mean we're yeah I just call it going to tender um, yeah or RFQs I've seen as well like yeah. request for quotation oh, yeah. um so yeah so it's basically just a, sometimes they're just incredibly large documents with a mm -hmm. lot of detail so I think you know I, I totally agree with with that kind of wham bam thank you ma'am uh, burn and turn environment where it is very much like you know this is a equitable resource that we can take from and then fling out um, you know, so it, 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 that is, I think, I don't, I don't think that's unique to our industry either, by the way, you know, I, I've seen it in marketing plenty of times as well. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the RFQs um, for me have always been a bit of a bugbear. Um, I worked in an organization that insisted that everything had five um, full tenders, the tenders were 110 pages long that people had to fill out, which of course we then had to go through and score and do all of this. And um, I did one that was for a, it was for a huge program. It was for a grad program. Um, so it was it was important. You know, it was about bringing these people in and doing uh, doing some work with them over a year's uh, period. It was you know a lot of money. 
Um, and the company that we eventually chose was the company that had been chosen by the HR director, um, you know, 10 years before. And magically, we chose the same company, even mm -hmm. though they didn't actually win the tender. Um, so I then had to talk to my purchasing manager to say, OK, well, the HR director wants this company. And he was he was like, um, but they didn't win. And I was like, I know. So what do I do now? Because... You know, and I think you get some of those kind of things going on that's pretty, it makes a mockery of the whole purpose. If you're, if you're going to tender, then yeah, it's a great way to get to know companies and it's a great way to involve stakeholders. Um, you know, so if I want to go to tender, then I do very soft tendering where I might uh, bring in three or four people over a day and, you know, bring them in, talk, get them to talk to the people who are the recipients of whatever the service is. Um, so they can get to know them and they can get a vibe. Um, doing a 100 page document um, for most things, I think, is just a bit of a waste of time if you're not then going to abide by it. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think it must waste a lot of your time as well as a supplier. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, thankfully, like I said, because of the nature of our work here, we haven't had to do those yet. I, I doubt I doubt we've dodged the, the RFP bullet entirely. You know, my concern with this kind of leaning into this way of, of sourcing suppliers or selecting suppliers is, I, again, and I won't get started on the potential over-reliance of tech in our industry in general, but what it forces you to do, say, for example, if you're looking for a solution, it boils it down to features. And a lot of times these, there's lists of features for that, that an organization requires, which they're unlikely to ever use. And, you know, for me, it starts to feel like, you know, you're missing this whole layer of solutioning with that. And, you know, the suppliers are brilliant. There's some brilliant solution-driven, uh, relationship-led technology supporters in our industry but if we end up just having to boil it down to feature sets all the time it becomes this scrabble to create an lxp or a hxp or an ngle or you know whatever other snazzy name we're going to come out mm -hmm. with in 2021 and i think you know this is kind of symptomatic of our industry in general in terms of subversively avoiding the root causes of some of our issues Absolutely. and just reverting straight back to tech again absolutely i mean i think in every organization that i've worked in the fundamental problem is that managers don't know how to manage, um, that they've been promoted from technical roles quite often. I work in a lot of um, hard industry um, type um, places where people are, they're put into positions where they don't want to be a manager, but they are a manager uh, because they wanted the promotion or they were the best technical person around, so they got the job. Um, and we never really fix those basics. Um, and I worked in one organization where I went out and I interviewed all um, a whole selection of people across the whole organization. I did that splice thing where you go out and you, you talk to people. Um, and my diagnosis was that we needed to teach people how to be managers. We needed to teach people how to have a one-to-one -one that wasn't a list of tasks that you wanted that person to do. Mm -hmm. That was actually a genuine conversation where you care about that person and you want to get to know that person. Um, and um, and the reply back from the person I was uh, I was taking this message to was, well, we're we're inspirational leadership. We've we've done we've done the course. We are all inspirational leaders now. And I was, <laughs> well, you know, if that just doesn't sum it up, we've done the course. Tick. Let's move on. Um, you know, and I think you're right. I think sometimes we forget the importance of things like 
having a proper conversation. So if you, like you say, getting to know a supplier takes time. Mm -hmm. um, and I will have many conversations with suppliers um, because what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a cultural fit, but I'm also looking for something that they will really excel in that that person and that company or that that uh, facility that they're offering me, they will excel in that position because I want them to be successful because if I'm bringing them in, that's reflected success for me, yeah? So, you know, I don't want it to fail. I want it to work um, because then I can demonstrate, you know, it's, it's all good for me. It demonstrates that I'm actually good at my job. So it's bringing in suppliers at the right time to fit the right needs. And I've got suppliers that uh, I've brought with me from other companies that, aren't right for the company that I moved to um, or perhaps they're right for one thing but not another um, and I'm very much in the in the mindset that you get uh, suppliers who think they can do everything um, and I'd rather have somebody who comes in and says look do you know what this is what I do this is this is my thing I'm really good at this um, and let that let that roll you know so how does the relationship side go from your side because it must be frustrating having loads of conversations with us for free <laughs> well you know I, <laughs> but I mean I think that's that's the nature of the beast right like it, it is what it is I, you know I'm very mindful of the fact that we're very new to the industry and so proving who we are and you know we've got a small amount of case studies and so social proof isn't incredibly strong yet we've got great NPS scores we've got a lot of recommendations but you know for me it, it's very much about that like I am very comfortable saying to people we don't do that you know because I, I I'm not going to get myself involved with a client that I know I can't I can't actually fulfill their needs and I can't make them happy like that's not what this business is driven by it's not driven by just making money 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 mm -hmm. you know that 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 to me is a very short-sighted approach and eventually that gets around that actually you can't do your job very well um so you know I think I think being more specific and niche and I was actually going to ask you the same um because you know I'm seeing a lot more around how LND starting to resource differently for the talent that they have within their own function so rather than having a very large team they might have like a core team and then pull in specialists whether that's freelance or bringing people in on fixed term contracts for shorter periods of time to fulfill specific requirements very much what you were just saying and I think that model of actually having trusted suppliers who do very specific aspects of your uh, function for you when you need them on an ad hoc basis rather than you know getting really wedded and bedded in with these you know large enterprise scale vendors do you can you see traction in that or do you think it's better to just have one point of contact you know you've got an account manager I can go and say hey Steve, you know, can you help me with this problem? And that company is your go-to place. Um, I think for me now, I prefer to have those one-to-one -one relationships and I will happily go with one-man bands um, and individuals um, and smaller startups and those kind of things because they, I find, are more responsive to the needs that I'm looking for. Um, and I'm happier to trust them with, um, I know they're not trying to sell to my people, um so i've got one one guy who does um who does some sales work for us and he's done absolutely fantastic work with our sales force and our sales force really they just they love him he's great he goes to more direct meetings now than i do <laughs> that's right because yeah. he needs to know and understand um but i think a lot of lnd get insecure with that and think they have to stand between and be the interpreter um and i think that's quite a challenge 
Um, but I think I, I'm bringing him in to solve a problem with that function. It's his specialism, he understands. So it's as you say, it's a, it is giving him a particular role. He's not on my books, I don't employ him, um, but he, he in his company, there's a, there's a few of them, um, fulfill a need in that area that I can't fulfill. Um, you know, I look after a lot of technical training. I've got a massive apprenticeship program, um, you know, and those are things that people can't do for me. But when it comes to things like management development, um, sales, they're things that I can purchase mm -hmm. um, and I can bring in people that can kind of get where we are um, and not try to be too advanced um, because a lot of the time businesses aren't as advanced as they think they are um, yeah. and they haven't moved on and it's when you when you're in L&D it's great to get excited isn't it I got very excited about social learning and very excited about you know communities let's get a community this would be brilliant will my people talk to each other no they will not um you know and it is that kind of okay so I then need help and advice from people who are going to then help me to to understand why are they not talking to each other because I think it's a good idea well of course I do it was my idea um but how how do you come into organizations like mine and help me with that kind of query? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's so many different challenges that sit within L&D. Of course, I'm naturally going to say I think the engagement piece and the awareness piece sits down a lot with an inability to actually market the incredible programs, courses, Absolutely. solutions that these in-house L&D functions have put, invested a huge amount of time and money and budget into money and budget into doing that you know I think that the I would say that that's the primary problem is you know it's it isn't field of dreams if you build it they are not just going to come just because I see this a lot where there's a mindset in L&D that okay well I've made this thing and it's really important to me or the business and therefore obviously my learners are going to really care about it and you know, unfortunately, the reality is that that's not the case. You know, we've got to make them care and we've really got to invest time into very much what we just said about, you know, those relationships between supplier um, and vendor, uh, supplier and L&D, sorry, or, you know, same as us, we've got to do that with our learners. You know, we've got to build up that relationship and build up that trust with them before they'll ever, in inverted commas, transact with you. So, you know, I, I think... In my opinion, where a lot of the solutioning comes from is really, really clear discovery areas and, and helping L&D identify where the real problems are. I think, again, it's a natural place to go and say, well, maybe the tech's not why people are interacting with it, but is that really what's causing the issue? Maybe the tech's good enough for now, um, but maybe you could invest some time or energy into actually understanding how to get bums on seats in a in a metaphorical way. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are in, in terms of that. Um, I think I think our challenge is that we come up with something um, and it's that ch typical change journey, isn't it? We're far, we're far ahead and we're convinced we've, you know, we're like, yeah, this is the right way to go. And wouldn't it be great if people shared what they did in that system because then we wouldn't have to do all the training all the time because they're the users, they know. Um, and it is, it's very frustrating because we run out of energy and time before we get to the marketing piece. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the thing that L&D struggles with is that marketing ourselves in terms of what we do. Um, so people think you just run courses um, and it's so much more complicated than that. Um, and I, 
I don't really want them to know what's behind the curtain, you know, like Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Uh, I don't really want them to know what's behind the curtain. I just want them to see the magic. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you have to point the magic out uh, and show them what the magic does before they will actually use it. And I think that um, sometimes that is where suppliers can help um, us, um, but we've got to let you in to be able to tell us because if we if we have a closed mind in terms of what our performance needs are or if we think we know so we know the problem um and we get this when we're doing internal consultancy you know people come and say oh we need to do a massive program on this because of this um and we'll say um okay well let's just sit down and talk about that um how how do you get that from your side of things so how do you manage to get in to talk to us about performance needs when we come and tell you what the problem is it's I mean it depends on does depend on the client you know I think I kind of maybe touched on that very briefly at the beginning and it, it is tough sometimes clients have very prescriptive needs and they won't be they won't be told even though they're paying you as an external expert yeah. you know I've seen it countless times where consultants are brought in and almost like they're heard but they're not listened to if that makes sense so it's yeah, kind of yeah. like we're bringing this external person in to give a different perspective but we're probably just going to ignore it anyways you know it's kind of this world of echo chamber self-fulfilling prophecy type stuff yeah. um so you know I, I think it's really finding those those clients that are I either know they have an issue but they're not quite uh, clear on what that problem entirely is yet. I think that's where there's some real scope to get traction and truly shift things. Um, or finding clients who are, are really open and receptive to different opinions. Uh, and I think part of that is really being quite candid, open and honest with clients very early doors in terms of, you know, look, this is what we do. This is what we can do. Managing expectations around what processes look like, where their touch points and involvement really are. Um, and I, you know, I've found that projects run a lot more smoothly. There's a lot more buy-in. Something I always do, especially with the L&D side of the projects that we do is where we can do discovery with the wider team, bigger stakeholders within the business. So outside of just L&D, you know, particularly on this marketing stuff, it, we kind of get buy-in beyond L&D if we really want to get people to start adopting this stuff and change behaviors and habits around it. So, you know, I think that getting external or stakeholder from the wider business, you know, I'm not talking about getting the CEO coming and chatting to me, but those that are truly kind of ingratiated in the learning world, get them involved, you know, getting moms involved yeah. is another really big one. You know, I, I see some political friction there sometimes internally. So, you know, how is that kind of, that's kind of an interesting dynamic that I'd love to dig in with you a bit more, mm -hmm. you know, from an internal stakeholder perspective, do you find that there's a lot of kind of barriers to access for if you're trying to introduce new change or bring in new suppliers? Do you, is there a resistance or have you seen resistance? Um, I have and I haven't. What um, I find the challenge that I sometimes have is where people have had a long-standing relationship with somebody who has supplied that for a hundred years, um, and I find that we've got some insidious people um, who uh, just dig in, um, you know. And I found out that they are going to dinner with these people and inviting them on golf days and all sorts of things mm -hmm. because they know that those people will then purchase from them um and it might be genuine they might be friends i don't know i'm just being quite cynical 
um, in terms of the way that I see it. Um, and they can be quite challenging to mm-hmm. bring in new people. Um, so what I tend to do is I operate under guerrilla tactics. So I will get um, key influencers around that person to agree that what we're doing is the right thing, get them embedded with the stakeholders, um, get them um, to really buy into what's going on um, and then get them to influence the person. So we've had an issue with um, suppliers in the past in organisations that I've worked in and I thought that that supplier wasn't right for us. Um, They hadn't moved us on in the 10 years that they'd worked with us. They hadn't, you know, I couldn't see any behavioural change. I couldn't see anything. Um, They'd kind of had their day. So for me, it was a case of, okay, we need to move them out. And that was quite challenging when you've got forceful people who are um, interested in that that supplier, it's difficult to get them out um, Mm -hmm. and to get them interested. so I had to do the right. Well, let's let's just bring in a number of people. You can have a chat, see what you like, you know, have a conversation. Um, but of course, the supplier I thought was right was the one who had more information um, sure. about what was going to happen. And um, and that worked. But I can't say it works every time. Um, I'm lucky where I am now. They're very open. They're very they want me to change things. They want me to move things on. Um, and it is about trust. Um, and they're involved at early stages of conversations um, and then I kind of get out of the way because it then becomes about them leading you know so all of my academies are led by the directors who own those academies so the sales academy is led by the sales people the after sales academy is owned by the after sales you know they're Mm -hmm. the ones who own it they're the ones who love it Um, and sometimes you can sit there and think to yourself okay well we're not really getting the credit for it but it doesn't matter it's not about credit it's about movement um and it's about changing things um and getting people to own it and for me it was like the holy grail when i saw the sales director stand up at a conference and talk about you know the sales academy his sales academy that he was running um i was just like oh you know this is swoon (laughs) i was i was i was just like oh my god you know this is this is unbelievable and they let the the organization um you know we can go and we can actually do full evaluation so we can prove um return on investment you know and we can Mm -hmm. show that actually do you know what the time and investment in that program we've got that back in nine months you know from a standing start we've made the money back in nine months um well that that for me is interesting that becomes really because you're proving it works um and i think so often it's really hard to do that i mean return on investment has always been a kind of a holy grail um having the business lead it having the business own that conversation is a holy grail you know so i think that's one of the things that keeps me where i am is the fact that actually we've got to a real sweet spot um you know so so how do you measure what you do for organizations what what's your metric I mean, ultimately, it depends on the client's goals, right? I think, you know, that's a that's a, a big, a big what, because um, some clients are still very much in the space of, I mean, I mean, some places are still, you know, completions, happy sheets, people like that, you know, that is their reality, because they haven't got enough alignment within the organization to access business data and truly, you know, align knowledge acquisition with performance impact and business bottom line shifts, whatever. Um, but I, I actually was uh, thinking about when you were speaking there, 
Um, and you were saying, you're, you know, when you're talking about getting that supplier out of the business that had been bedded in for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's the thought process that I've had a lot that it's the onus is on L&D to really expect more from their suppliers too, and really command, you know, more transparency, um, very much making them accountable for their own benchmarking, their own KPIs, you know, what, what is it that you're going to bring to us? You know, I, I just got asked yesterday on a prospect call, you know, I'd love to know what it is that you hold yourself accountable for if we engage with you. And I, you know, I don't see that discourse common in our industry. And I think that's symptomatic of the fact of what I just said, that a lot of L&D isn't really in a place where they can measure beyond the completions piece and beyond the, you know, the, the good, the good things like MPS and whatnot. But the reality is, you know, do you think that suppliers could do more in terms of proving their value in-house? Um, yeah, I think you have to be invited in. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's the challenge. Um, I think that L&D has to be brave enough to treat you. And it, uh, it comes back to what you said right at the beginning. It's about trust. Um, and I think that you need to be invited in to have that kind of conversation and um, be able for us to trust that the metrics that you're giving us are the metrics that actually make a difference to our business. But you have to know what is important to our business to be able to do that. Um, And I've seen businesses very reluctant to give any performance data um, to to suppliers. But the reality is, if you're going to work with somebody in a genuine way, you have to be able to open up to them and share um, information and trust that that information doesn't get shared elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that comes down to, are you doing confidentiality agreements with people if you need to? Are you actually, um, so we might share materials with people and share things that essentially are our intellectual property. Um, do we then trust that those people don't sell it on? Um, of course we do, you know, and it is a case of we need to be able to trust the suppliers. And I think then it comes back to how did you procure them in the first place? Have you gone for that? Um, you know, I've gone for that. Oh, you do communication skills. Therefore, you can do me a communication skills course. Or have you gone for actually I'm really looking for what the issues are with communication in my organization? Um, and what's the challenge that we need to to really get to um, to know that we've we've done a good job with that? Yeah. So what do you think in terms of actually, because that to me feels like there's just a distinct lack of trust between supplier and L&D in general. And even when there's an engagement, in many cases, there's a huge reticence to, to really engage and, and allow space for that supplier to deliver transformative results, but, you know, allow them full visibility into what's going on and what's happening in the real problems that are at hand what can what can suppliers do or what can we do as an industry i mean maybe i should ask you what can lnd do and i'll answer the supplier side in terms of you know how can we start trusting each other better i think from an lnd perspective um there is an issue with budgets being slashed time being slashed people being removed um massive pressure on to supply resources you know um curation not creation side of things um, and that's a huge pressure um, and to understand tech and to do all of those kind of things as well Um, I think there is an onus on us to make time not to see suppliers as a quick fix 
you're not a quick fix you're part of a bigger solution and a bigger agenda and mm. i think time pressure in our industry is probably the biggest thing um as well as getting to the person who really makes the decision um you know and i guess from your side it's getting to know um that business so you know who the decision maker is so for me um with the the person i was talking about before in the sales um side um yeah it was my budget but it wasn't me making the decision as to whether that was the right organization or not that's the sales director Mm -hmm. And it was for them to sit and have that conversation and come to that conclusion. And I think sometimes there's a reticence to let suppliers talk to um, directors. Directors are too busy. Um, well, they're not because you're talking about developing their people. So it's the onus is on L&D to convince the key stakeholders to spend that time and that care having a conversation with the people who are going to do uh, the development for their next generation. Um, so I think that is our, um, that's our biggest challenge. So what's yours? <laughs> well, I, I think, I, so I, I think the reason some of the mistrust is bred from sort of some of the sales tactics that are executed in our industry from a supplier perspective, um, because it is a fiercely competitive industry. You know, if, if I had a look at learning platforms, there's probably... 300 to 500 different learning platforms you know the e-learning industry as a whole is worth something like 300 billion there's acquisitions everywhere there's a there's a lot of money flying about and a lot of money hungry people trying to get their hands on some of that and i think some of the sales tactics and the ways that uh some organizations and suppliers go about trying to get new business is is very much a you know let's drum up some business instead of actually like how are we building relationships and yeah. some some of that I think you know I've worked in in-house in places where you know the the CEO and the internal leadership team really understand the merits and value of relationship building how things like marketing sales product etc can all play a role in that others are very much you know they see the organization as a linear function in which sales and marketing are feeding that machine and then there's no kind of relationship building because they're you know customers are handed from pillar to post yeah. again and again and again so i i think my key takeaway, I guess I would say, is genuinely being passionate about building and fostering meaningful relationships with suppliers. It is not always about, you know, increasing how many customers you have and increasing your, you know, your revenue or your profits. It's actually about, from my perspective, and it might sound a bit fluffy, but actually delivering real change and real meaningful results to your clients. And you know, in, in my opinion, that has more progressive long-term results because those people are going to talk about you and that's that's where the real magic is really. You know, word of mouth is an incredible selling technique in and of itself. So if you put your energy into the things that sound really soft and fluffy, there, you know, there's a lot of strategy that sits behind that, sure. But I think that that's where, in my opinion, we could do a lot of work. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, and to me, it sounds like, um, you know, if we were on eHarmony, e I think we'd actually be quite aligned. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of our, <laughs> our values and our and our beliefs. Into, I think we'd be a match, um, you know, so I, I think it's it's great to be able to have a conversation with um, with a supplier with no pressure. 
Um, but see, no. this is me selling to you that way, right? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> and do you know what? I'm sat here buying it. So it's working, you know? <laughs> I'm just wrapping it up. It's um, but this for me is how business is done. People yeah. do business with people. Um, and L and D, we're supposed to be in the industry of people. So I think once we've forgotten to have those conversations, we're losing it. You know, we are we are not we're we're commoditizing what we do, and then we moan that pe other people see us as oh well, we're just training. Well, yeah, you've, we've commoditized it ourselves. We mm -hmm. have provided just training we haven't provided business performance um, because we have, we have basically, we've done what we've been told to do rather than actually really looking and taking ownership um, and accountability. And yeah, I think what you've just demonstrated is absolutely perfect um, for me in terms of the way that I like suppliers to behave. So yeah, great. Thank when you. can we do business? <laughs> I, will, I will put that gold star firmly upon my breast and be delighted with that. But no, honestly, I think, you know, that's a really wonderful way to end in terms of, I think there is, there is reasons for this and it is both sides are, are to blame in many cases. Um, and I think, you know, we just have a lot of, a lot of work to do and some of it isn't going, isn't really allowing the learning piece at all. <laughs> No, it's around the people's piece. And as we know, that is the eternal conundrum of learning, isn't it? Yeah. It would be fine if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been really good to speak to you. You too, Karen. It's been a, a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I was so happy that Ashley and Karen agreed to speak on, on this one. The sense of a dance between purchasers and suppliers is palpable in much of the buying activity I've been involved with. I like Karen's comment comparing the supplier-vendor relationship to a dating app. Similarly, Ashley's passion for building relationships is a massive learning point. Thanks again to Ashley and Karen for yet another brilliant episode. You can find more about Ashley and her work on her website, and you can find her on Twitter and LinkedIn, and all the details will be in the show notes. Karen is also on LinkedIn, and again, all the links will be available in the show notes. We've got more MP3s for the imposter syndrome episode. In case you missed it, that's going to be a compilation made up of three-minute segments recorded by women telling us what imposter syndrome means to them. And there's still time to get your recordings in. Just make a three-minute recording of your thoughts on imposter syndrome and send them to us at hello at larn.com. That's hello at larn, L-L-A-R-N, dot com. Don't worry about it being of radio quality. It's not radio production. Just do a recording on your mobile phone. Make sure you say your name first. Or, if you wish, you can remain anonymous. And then, like I said, email it to hello at larn.com. The closing date for submissions is next Friday. That's the 18th of December. So you've got a couple of days to get them into us. Remember to like and subscribe to Women Talking About Learning. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again soon. You have been listening to the Women Talking About Learning podcast. Women Talking About Learning is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music and Alexa, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or your favourite podcast app. You can get in touch with Women Talking About Learning via email, on Twitter, 
at WTAL underscore podcast or via our website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. Make sure you tune in next time for more women talking about learning, more of the signal, none of the noise. Thank you.